Pee on every snap and have fun. And last, and most importantly, be physical. They gotta do something. They gotta do something. Put your shoes on tight. And welcome to episode 20. That's right. Episode 20 Hard Edge Football Podcast. This is Coach Rich Rodriguez. And with me this time is, of course, my daughter Raquel and my son Rhett. Another true family episode coming your way. Well, I'm excited to hear how spring ball at the University of Louisiana Monroe is going. It's uh, going well. We've had, uh, what, four, <laughs> four practices in? And a couple in pads. Uh, the intensity's been pretty good. Uh, the guys are learning. The first spring's always the toughest, though. You know, uh, if you're a new coaching staff coming in, the terminology's different. The tempo of practice is different. And I think our guys are probably, especially read our skill guys, our receivers are learning just how much running they do at practice. Uh, we had a GPS on them. I think they got the slot receivers got over 5.3 miles in each practice. So uh, that's been good getting in shape. Yeah. It's, it's been a, a learning curve for a lot of people. It's been kind of funny to see how I know how dad likes to run practices and I know kind of more of what's expected, but the players are learning, the coaches are learning. And so there is a learning curve, but we're getting better every day and it's been exciting. Now <laughs> the honest answer here, how much yelling are you doing dad? You know, I've uh, been tempered down a little bit. You think, Rhett? No. <laughs> well, you could only be tempered down from one of our practices a couple practices ago. That was that was a big one. A couple walkie-talkies were thrown, but I was told they were not broken. They were only thrown. That's right. And I kind of slid them. I was sliding them to the big fella, Big Dusty. I was sliding it on the turf. And uh, I, I even told myself the last practices, you know, I'm not going to – I'm going to coach, but I'm not going to be loud. I'm not going to yell. And, and it worked for about half a period or half a practice and it had a couple of popsicles. And I'll be damned the second half of practice. All of a sudden, guys were lining up late, getting in the wrong spot, going the wrong way. And then so that quiet demeanor uh, uh, dissipated. Yeah, well, in his defense, <laughs> there were a couple of times where he yelled back where he's saying, don't make me lose my voice instead of actually See? just losing his voice. And so right. he's – you know, he's, he's calming down a little bit. And I know one of the other things that was funny was it was really, it was a coaching point that for one of the walkie talkies, he was telling the quarterback where to throw the ball and he threw the walkie talkie in that direction. Yeah, so see, it wasn't yeah, an yeah. anger thing. It was a coaching <laughs> tip. That's also, right. you were trying yeah. to demonstrate where to throw the ball. You weren't actually just destroying them. Yeah. Kind of getting their, their eyes in the right spot. That's right. Okay. Gotcha. Rhett, is it any different or are you noticing any changes? from when you played for dad at Arizona versus ULM. Yeah, that has been really fun to see because as a freshman, you know, I'm just still getting used to the game, still getting used to the speed. And I would say the biggest difference for me this time is just my confidence as a player and really knowing what I'm going, what I'm doing when I'm out there. And I really feel this time, like I am a true player coach because I know the <laughs> offense and I mean, players come up to me and ask questions. I've even had coaches come up to me and ask some questions. So it really does feel like I'm kind of a player coach out there and someone that they can go and talk well, to without getting uh, yelled at pretty well, quick. Well, it should so. be. He's got a, he's, he's almost as old as I am. And then he's got a master's degree right here in a month or two. He's going to probably have a doctorate before he's finished. So I have relied on red. I've relied on him quite a bit to, to help not just the other quarterbacks, of course, but 
uh, other guys in the offense. So, so that has helped in the transition uh, for sure, because not only as Rhett said, uh, there are a lot of um, a lot of new players, but also a lot of new coaches. Uh, Coach Mike D'Angelo uh, is on the staff, has been with me, so he knows it. Uh, Ryan Garrett, one of our GAs, has been with me as Ole Miss, and he knows it. And then the big fella, Dusty, understands it. But all the other coaches offensively are new to the system. So, Rhett, you're not as uh, loud as dad, just overall as a person. But <laughs> have <laughs> you picked up a little bit of yelling? Well, see, the, the thing I will say is I, dad and I, I think, have a little bit of a different personality, but I still am his son. So it is – apple doesn't far fall from the tree with some aspects. So there was – There was one one play, yeah. There was one incident on, yeah. uh, on Friday where the, the running back lined up on the wrong side of the ball, and I calmly and nicely said, hey, you would move over to the left side. And then he stayed on the right side, and um, I had to then kind of get a little more animated, uh, animated and uh, physically move him from one side to the other. So um, it, it comes out of every, every once in a while. I always say I, I'm like a you got to poke the bear every once in a while. And, and, it, and it comes out for sure. But I'm a little slower to to yell than I would say he is. Yeah, I, I kind of appreciate it. I didn't even have to say anything. It was like, <laughs> OK, you got it. That's good. Well, maybe it could have been, you know, it was Friday afternoon. You've had a longer week, first spring ball <laughs> practice week. You're just ready to get it going. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, that was good. And a couple, couple receiver routes, I might tell them that they got to go and, and that type of stuff. But for the most part, it, it's been good. I've had, I've had fun. I've, we've been messing around with some of the defensive coaches and uh, we're just trying to have fun out there. And, and it's no fun if everyone's quiet, you got to have some noise out there and that's how you know it's a good practice and football is uh as Rhett knows and you know Arkel, you've been to plenty of practices i mean this is an intense sport uh all sports are intense but football especially is intense and it's violent and there's people flying around everywhere and it's more fun when you are into it i think i've always thought the intensity level of the practice uh the higher it is the actually the more fun it is and the more players are into it and more focused so uh, from that aspect, the start of spring ball at ULM has has hit the mark. So we've heard a little bit about Monroe, but what is under review in the state of football right now? So here's a hot take, Dad. The North Dakota State head coach, he said he kind of had a hot take here. and He said teams that go no huddle aren't looking to beat you fundamentally. They're looking for you to beat yourself. That's kind of the quote that's getting a lot of attention. You obviously run a hot uh and uh, up-tempo offense. What are your thoughts on that? What do you think? What's the take like? No, I don't totally agree with everything he said. He's a really good football coach who won a lot of games, but uh, I think um, I think a lot of no-huddle, fast, up-tempo coaches still stress fundamentals. And you can. You just have to stress them quicker. Now, as I say, the fundamentals suffer. It depends what you consider fundamentals. Isn't fundamentals part of getting lined up? Mm-hmm. If he's saying, well, the fundamentals is, is you're not in a perfect two-point stance coming off the ball as a wide receiver or uh, your splits aren't exactly perfect every time on the O-line or something like that, well, yeah, you consider that a fundamental. But also a fundamental part of football nowadays is controlling when you snap the ball and working very fast at that and getting lined up faster. So in a sense, I agree. I know where he's coming from, but I don't think that you sacrifice the true fundamentals if you want to go up tempo, I think that's just kind of thinking from someone that ain't never tried it. Yeah, well, that quote kind of reminds me of I think it was Lou Holtz back in the day said if a, if a team's using trick plays, that means they don't think they can beat you straight up. 
and I, and I, I get where he's coming from, but also people have different strategies. I love trick plays. I think <laughs> if you call a trick play for an 80 yard touchdown uh, and it helps you win, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So, I mean, different coaches have different beliefs, but you got to do whatever it takes to win the game. You know, back in the day, Raquel, back like when I was in high school, wide receivers would line up in a three-point stance out wide. I did because that was <laughs> fundamental. You go, you you come out and you run a 40-yard dash, you get down a three-point stance. So, as a wide receiver, you get down a three-point stance. <laughs> Somebody was coming up to jam, you might be in trouble. All of a sudden, nobody does that now. So, that fundamental has changed. So, the game is constantly changing. You know, and the prime example of that is the greatest college coach of all time, Nick Saban, right? And he philosophically has changed offensively in the last five or six years and won many national championships. So, you know, the, a lot of the coaches adapt to what probably not just where it's better for them, but where the game is going mm-hmm. um, all across the board. Do you think there's some truth in that? I know with the up-tempo offense, you also want to be like it kind of in better shape than the other team. You want to beat them out maybe in conditioning, if that makes sense. So they are looking for you to beat uh, yourselves if you're, you know, if you're the up-tempo offense. Yeah, is, isn't conditioning a part of the fundamentals, right? And how many times have I said this, Rhett? The most overlap, <laughs> even on this podcast, I've said All it on every podcast. <laughs> yeah, conditioning, conditioning. Players are seeing that. We're seeing it right now as a and Rhett can tell you that the guys right now on offense are seeing all oh, coach talked about being in shape. And then they go through a couple of practices and they're like, oh shoot, uh, he ain't kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's funny because we have some different plays where the receivers are trying to get out wide and beat the team with speed. Well, after they do a couple of them, they're they're not beating them with speed anymore because we're struggling to to get out get outside the defense and they're learning that. This summer, we're, we're going to have some tough conditioning programs and get us in shape for the fall. Here, then, I mentioned this the other day because, and I know I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I truly believe this. You know, you take a guy that's 4'5", can run a flat 4'5", four, four, 40, that's fast, all right, when he's fresh. And another guy that when he's fresh runs a 4'7". But the guy that runs a 4'7 four, four, is in such better shape than a 4'5", he's going to run a 4'7 all the time. All right, the 4'5 guy that's out of shape can run one four five. But by the third or fourth time, he's running four eights and four nines. So the four seven guy is going to run by him for most of the game if you make conditioning a factor. And so that's my point. We want four or five guys that run four or five all the time, you know, that are in that kind of shape. If not, all right, if you're not a four or five and you're four six, four seven guy, be in great shape. So you play that fast all the time. Sounds good enough. So I think it's a hot take. And given the uh, one of the innovators of up tempo offense, Dad, I figured you'd have uh, some thoughts on that. Pretty passionate about – I always – okay, what's the two – Rhett, tell you. I, hey, I've said this a hundred times. <laughs> Clinic talk, Rhett, what's the two advantages the offense has? The offense knows where they're going, and the offenses know when they're going. And by interesting topic, Raquel, uh, that's obviously the one advantage that the defense has is, Rhett? They can move all 11 players before the snap. So we had a great visit this past week by Pro Football Focus. It's a great organization that a lot of colleges and NFLs uh, teams use that, that get all of the stats, all video. I mean, it's unbelievable. They employ like 600 people that put all this stuff together. And they were just talking about how they did a study on Aaron Rodgers, who's obviously a Hall of Fame quarterback, and how high his completion percentage was and how it dropped 30-some percent 
when teams disguise the coverage against them. Well, hello, that goes to where the defense, all right, doesn't let you know what they're in and you're allowed to move and disguise before the snap. So, you know, there's a there's a lot, those two, three simple factors, all right, there's a lot into that that could help your football team. This sounds kind of like one of Rhett's uh, quarterback football quizzes he has to take every week, huh? <laughs> yeah, which we had one to do this past weekend. We had a big, uh, big packet of of everybody to drop the plays. And I know the receivers, they had one practice where they they were struggling to know the right routes. And so Coach Hull, the outside receivers coach, gave them the practice script and said, I want you to write down every single play that we called. And so quizzes are good, and, and, and we're getting them right. I had actually had read uh... – Help grade the quarterback once because I was a little busy, and I figured you better you better not have any mistakes, Rhett, and and then while you're doing that, grade the other guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I'll probably be a, a little more lenient grader than he would be. So. Yeah, yeah, Rhett might let a couple more uh, wrong answers slide than you did, probably just to guess though. <laughs> yeah. Another FCS. Hot topic. Jackson State lost to Alabama State. Their winning streak is over, but it was a really interesting game. Uh, what did you think of it, Dad? Obviously, Jackson State, we've mentioned it several times. They're your first home game at ULM and second game of the season. Well, I actually, the first thing is I enjoyed watching it with you. We got a chance <laughs> to sit and watch some ball and talk about it as obviously an opponent for us. And, you know, Jackson State's off to a great start. I was really impressed with Alabama State, particularly their running back. They got a senior running back named Ezra Gray, ran for about 200 yards, and I looked it up. He's from a little town outside of Pensacola, Florida, ran a 4-3-1, 40-yard dash, and he looked like the fastest guy on the field. So there are a lot of good players at the FCS 1AA level, and you saw some of them in that game. Yeah, unfortunately, I did not get to watch the game. I was too busy taking a nap or sleeping in because I was tired from all the running we were doing at practice. But from what I heard, it was a really fun game to watch. And the quarterbacks got it easy at practice. I mean, they really do. I don't know what they're – I think the linemen actually had more miles on their GPS than the quarterbacks did. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I'm not fast enough probably to be a receiver anyway. But even if I was, I don't know if I could do it because that's that's a whole lot of running at practice. And and uh, if I'm being honest, I don't think I'm in good enough shape to do it either. <laughs> right. If you weren't a quarterback, what what position would you play? Well, I've said this. I don't know if I could play any other position other than quarterback. <laughs> a lot of them have a lot of running. And uh, like I said, I don't know if I'm in shape for that. But I actually was a backup safety in high school, believe mm-hmm. it or not. I was kind of the emergency safety. So if I had to play another position, I would guess that or maybe a slot receiver. But like I said, I might not have that top-end speed for those positions. You also were a holder for extra points back in high school. Oh, yeah. Back in my high school at Catalina Foothills, we only had 33 players on the team. And when grades came out, we only had 24. So <laughs> I was the uh, the quarterback, the backup punter, the backup long snapper, the starting holder, and a backup safety. So when, when uh, our – Team was challenged in numbers, and I was ready to fill in whenever I had to. Dad, do you have Rhett playing any extra backup positions right now? Well, we talked about holding a little bit, and he was like, it's kind of a thankless job in a lot of ways. (laughs) And the reality is if you can get a punter or another specialist to do it, they can work together a whole practice. They should have it perfected, whereas a quarterback obviously has a lot of other things to do during practice. So a lot of teams, you know, NFL, they don't have as many numbers. The quarterback, they like having a quarterback who's used to handling the ball do that. 
but you'll usually find probably overwhelmingly the majority of time, particularly in college, usually like either a backup kicker or a punter or backup punter is the holder because they can work together so so many times to get that perfected. Yeah, I know with the I mean I will hold if need be, but I know like you said, the the punters get a chance to to work with the snappers and kickers a lot more. And the thing about holding is there's really there's a lot of downsides to it. <laughs> but the one I would say the one main advantage is if you're the quarterback and you're the holder, that means you get to stay out on the field and celebrate with your teammates a little longer, which was kind of the main reason why I like doing it in high school. But at the college level, yeah, I think the the backup punter or the starting punter or whatever will have a better technique and better fundamentals. And so it might be smarter for us to let them have it. And speaking of that, he better have pretty good hands too, right? Because if a punter drops a ball, oh, you're in a world of shit. <laughs> okay. So another good topic. I kind of like this. Uh, the Najee Harris drove nine hours to watch Alabama's pro day after lightning, a storm canceled his flight. Uh, he's obviously the top rated running back going into this year's NFL draft, but he went, he didn't participate in that pro day, but he went to support his teammates. Uh, he still can participate in the one that's uh, March 30th, but I think that's nice that he still showed out for his teammates. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's part of the culture that they have there. I mean, we've said it on this show before and you know, the, 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 the Grays programs in, in football and particularly in college got really, really good good players and they work really, really hard. I've seen him practice. I've seen Najee practice. I mean, he, he works his, he works his tail off and he's earned all the stuff. He should be the, and probably will be the first running back taken and he'll have a long NFL career. And that just shows an incident like that uh, shows the NFL scouts that he is serious about not just, you know, getting uh, picked highly, but, you know, having a great career. Yeah, well, I think that just shows what's so great about college football. I mean, everyone always talks about there's nothing better than a football locker room, and especially in college, it's you get a really tight group of guys, and that's how you get a good football team. And I can't speak for you, Dad, but I would say I'd rather have a, a less talented team that has really good team chemistry than a better, better talented team that doesn't get along at all. And in Alabama, I think it seems like they're lucky enough to have both. But – that example right there of Najee coming back to to support his teammates is just an example, like he said, of of the culture and the the type of locker room camaraderie they have in Alabama. That has there ever been an instance where you thought that your team chemistry wasn't great, so you kind of had to step in. That's a very good question. I think there've been different times where we weren't uh, and didn't have as many seniors. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the team, and so the 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 kind of locker room leadership. What made me not was was not as good as as I liked it to be, and so we had to get some younger guys to step up with that. I can't remember. I've been very fortunate at every place, you know, that had you know had great senior leadership, and we tried to foster that. We you know we get we put a lot on our seniors. You know, seniors were all seniors were captains. If, you know, if they earned it. Um, so at every place we've been, I think we've had that type of deal. The, always the hardest, Raquel. And Rhett can probably attest to this too. When you have a new staff coming in, is the first year that you go somewhere because the players don't really know the coaches, they don't know the kind of cult, the culture that you want. So I can remember the first year everywhere we were at, you know, from Glenville to to West Virginia to Michigan to Arizona, uh, was always uh, difficult. Michigan was probably the hardest, you know, because uh-huh. I was an outsider coming in, right? 
Uh-huh. And uh, everybody kind of looked at like, what, what's, who's this guy? What's he all about? And, you know, that took a little longer than we wanted, obviously. But by the time, you know, our third year, I've said this many times, the culture started to come to where we wanted it to be, and it was going upwards. Yeah, well, I mean, I would say specifically with Michigan, uh, you might try to say it nicely, but they kind of have a little bit of, a, of an arrogance up there. They kind of have a belief that they, like with the Michigan way and that everything they do has got to be perfect because they're Michigan. That's the way we, they've, they've done it before, and that's the way they're going to do it in the future. But also you have to understand you got to keep up with the time. So like you said, everywhere your first year is going to be tough, but especially if, if that culture and the team surrounding that has a belief that they don't really need to change. Well, I just remember one thing, and we probably mentioned on a podcast that, uh, that I got questioned for at Michigan is I've always had the thing where all seniors had the ability to be a game captain, right? I'm sure I've talked about it on a podcast. Everywhere I've been, you know, it's an honor for a senior to be a captain, to be able to put that on the resume and say, hey, listen, I was a senior, I was a captain, I paid my dues, and I'm one of the leaders of the team. And then at the end of the season, the team picks the permanent captains. Well, some places, uh, they they want to pick the permanent captains before the season even starts. And I'm like, that's kind of a dangerous thing to do because what if that guy doesn't become a great leader? What if he, you know, things don't go well for him and he's not in a spot that uh, the guys are going to listen to him? So, And Michigan had – before me, way back when in the day, had picked the game captains than permanent captains. So I wasn't uh, totally foreign to them. But at the time, it was like, how dare you have game captains and not preseason captains? I'm like, well, it's always worked for me. That's why. Well, that sounds like minus that little part, though. You had mostly some good teams that you didn't really have to run into too many issues where you had to intervene with team chemistry. Rhett, what about you? What about your experience either in high school or in college? What about that team chemistry? Yeah, well, I mentioned in high school, we didn't have a whole bunch of teams on the or players on the team. So we really had no choice but to be friends. Yeah. Uh, but I would say the, the biggest reason why we had such a successful team in high school was because of that. We mm-hmm. all trusted each other. We always we all hung out after the game. There was no clicks or certain groups. And, and I would say specifically my freshman year at Arizona, it felt like everybody got along super well. And I think that was why we, again, had a successful year. And the past few years that I was at Arizona, it did kind of feel like it was more clickish and that there was more, okay, these group of people hung out with each other and these group of people talked to each other, but maybe these two groups don't like each other. And, and that causes some, some issues and some difficulties out on the field. But I will say so far, Monroe, I've been very pleasantly surprised that the players all see, do seem to get along. They all mm-hmm. seem to be ready for a change. They're all ready for a new culture. And so far, it's, it's been actually surprising how good of an attitude everyone has had. <laughs> well, uh, we're not going to say any names here, but I remember there was an incident in Arizona. You weren't involved, but one <laughs> one uh, teammate threw a, t- a, a chair at another teammate <laughs> during the middle of the game. Yeah, that's, I mean, you have, if it had like players kind of get into a scuffle in preseason practice or spring ball and it's just kind of a quick thing, that's not a big deal. But, you know, chairs thrown at halftime and other teammates uh, during the game, that's probably not, a, that's not the best uh, situation. Yeah, well, I think obviously you're going to have some disagreements and you're going to have some verbal altercations, but you never want it to become something where chairs are thrown because that <laughs> tends to leave some some lasting uh, hurt feelings, you know, and, and you never wanted to get to that level. There's nothing wrong with being passionate and disagreeing over something, but there is that line that you don't want to cross. 
Dad, have you ever had a player thrown a chair during halftime or during practice or whatever? Oh, I've had guys throw it out of frustration uh, at themselves, but not uh, directly at each other. <laughs> no. I mean, they, they slam a chair down or put a slam a helmet down. But really, the locker rooms at halftime, you know, I, we, I know we said this before, too, on our podcast. You have very little time. You have about four minutes with the coaches amongst themselves to go over adjustments. You have about five minutes with the players. Then you got to use the restroom and then you got to go back on the field. So there's not, everybody talking about raw, raw speeches. You got them really fired up at halftime. Hell, you ain't got time to do all that. You're just getting them focused, rested, relaxed, adjustment, a few adjustments made and then go play. Dad, how does one throw a chair at themselves? Well, I guess if you just kind of slammed it down. <laughs> You know, most of them chairs are pretty sturdy. I probably slammed one down myself. Yeah, I was going to say, have you slammed a chair? Maybe. And of course, yes. we're talking about little fold-out chairs, not like. Absolutely. But not chairs. not very often. But uh, yeah, I'm sure I have a couple of times. I didn't Bobby Knight throw it across the court kind of deal, but I've, I've slammed one right in front of me uh, a time <laughs> or two, for sure. Throwing lots of whistles and uh, now walkie-talkies, a few headsets, <laughs> practice headset, not games. Now, see, the games are different. You you know, the games you, oh, you know, I believe you still I've have, been, yeah, but I've not, I've not gotten, you know, where I've broken the game headsets. Those are really expensive. Oh, yeah. I, I think any object that's around him is not necessarily off limits. It's, it's, it's whatever is around him at the moment is liable to get thrown. So I think I've seen chairs, but it has not been at anybody. So, so he's safe there. Well, dad, I believe you probably have some people listening who maybe worked for you and the equipment uh, room who would beg to disagree that you have not broken a game set of headsets. I don't think I have. I really don't rock out. It's really, <laughs> it's a different, and I, all, all you great equipment people out there that I've worked with and I have had, boy, they're just the best. I've had the best everywhere I went. The practice headsets. I, yeah, it was not very smart of me to do that because those are cost money too. But I think the equipment guys figured out, uh, let's get the really cheap ones. And then it was, it was actually Dusty's idea or something here. These little walkie talkies work pretty good, but I don't know if they'd work good in a big city where you had a lot of, you know, if you had police or whatever, cause there's one time in practice, I think we were getting airport things like cleared for landing, blah, blah, blah. And I couldn't, we couldn't get the plays in because we were, I hope we weren't interrupting with their landings, but whatever it was. But uh, other than that, it worked out great. Yeah, I know. I think it was uh, Davis, one of the, the GAs who's working with the, the quarterbacks, was like, uh, Coach, I, could, I couldn't hear you. The, the, air, the airport, the airport. And so, yeah, you got to make sure you're on the right channel and you're not at the wrong time. But the walkie-talkies have been uh, effective so far. Well, you mentioned like, you know, Monroe's a smaller town, but um, how are you liking Monroe? I know we met a little buddy, our guy, David Moses, who lives in Monroe. How are you liking Monroe now that you've been there a month or two? Yeah, as a coach, you're usually so busy anyway that, uh, you know, you find a couple places to eat. You find, you know, you know, the, the, the route to your home from the office. And that's usually about it. Find a nice um Place to work out, the Monroe Athletic Club. They, it's a that's a really nice place to go to, and and uh, there's a country club right uh, close to campus, uh, by your Desire Country Club. I haven't visited that yet, but uh, it's a it's a neat little small town, and football is important to them. It's got a beautiful campus. 
I know I'm doing a recruiting pitch here, but you know what? And we talked about this coaches and, and players. I don't know if the red, the players talked about it, but this town is hungry to win. Mm-hmm. And hell, they should be, you know, they didn't, didn't win a game last year, but a couple of years ago they were close and they've had some success in the past, but not a tremendous amount, you know, mm-hmm. with their biggest challenge, we've had one winning, one winning season in 27 years, you know? And so that's, you know, we got a task in front of us, but, that's why we got Rhett and some of his buddies here. And that's why we're coaching our tails off and turning Monroe into Funroe. Yeah, well, speaking of Funroe, we had a little offensive cookout yesterday, and they even had some, some paddle boards for us to go out on the bayou. And I was a little hesitant at first because I'm like, wait a second, aren't there alligators out there in the bayou? They said, well, yeah, they didn't care. And so uh, a couple of teammates went out there on the paddle board. I wasn't the first one out there, but I said, okay, I'll, I'll get out there and paddled around a little bit. There were no alligators to my knowledge, um, but that was good. But that, that's why we have a ski team here, you know, at Monroe. Do you know if you knew that? Mm. We got a ski team and they're really good. One of the best in the country. And you know why they're so, there's even a ramp right in the middle of campus on the bayou. And I said, you know why they're so damn good? Is they're not falling off those skis Letting them alligators get to them. Their ass is going to stay up. They're going to be upright the whole time. They can spin around, flip around, all that, but they ain't falling off them skis. <laughs> The big news of today was that dad finally got his cable box installed. Oh, big news. Yeah, because I've been having to come over. We live in the same apartment complex, so I've been having to come over and help him, uh, you know, air cast and display his iPad on (laughs) TV. Because, hell, I got three channels. It was like the old days when you just got three channels. I had like three channels on my TV, which which I, I'm lucky. I've got a TV as big as my living room, my little living room here. It's like the whole wall. You've seen it. You're right. Handy. Well, yeah, he was confused because, I mean, I'm, I'm just right down the, the hall here, and I got good channels. My TV clears. My TV picture's clear. And then Dad kept saying, well, I don't know what's going on, but my TV picture isn't real clear. And I'm like, you got a nice TV. What is it? I go in there. I'm like, Dad, you don't got a cable box. You're you're on the analog uh, channels. The hell's an analog? <laughs> oh, what the hell an analog is? Yeah, I wouldn't either. Do you guys know what the difference between an alligator and a crocodile is? Rhett, you're our smart person here. Wow, good question. Well, I I've <laughs> learned the difference like ten times, and I always get confused. One of them, it's like they're like the mouth's supposed to be wider, and and like the way you can tell is the like a crocodile has a shorter but wider snout, and the alligator has a longer and skinnier or something. I don't know. I could be completely wrong. I, that sounds familiar, though. Well, here's a question I've always heard, Raquel. Remember we talked about this when we lived in, in Louisiana way back when, when Rhett was born. He was just little. So I, was, I was always told, well, if an alligator chases you, run zigzag. And I'm like, that don't make no damn sense. And I've asked people out that, that that know alligators. They say, what are you talking about, coach? The hell are you talking about? Run zigzag. Just run straight as fast as you can away from them. I don't know if there's anything to that or not. Maybe our I've actually heard say, that. Yeah, maybe our listeners, one of them is an alligator or crocodile expert can say, listen, yeah, if an alligator is chasing you, uh, I just say run faster than the person that you're with. And you'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I because th- I've heard that too, and I thought the thought process was like, don't they have? They kind of have shorter legs, and they can't move direction, but they can move forward quickly, and they have to move direction. They're not as agile on land, but but I don't know. That might just be nonsense that I was told as a kid. You never know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it might be. I know we're off subject here. It might be the ugliest animal in the kingdom. 
<laughs> well, I mean, they're, le- they're legit dinosaurs. I yeah. mean, that's, I would say that's the closest thing we got to dinosaurs on land right now is an alligator. That's a, a massive reptile that lives underwater. That's a, that's a dinosaur. I don't know how they get, they made it through extinction. Yeah. They made it through the meteor or whatever it was, but, but they're still going strong. Yeah. They can't be trusted if they made it through the meteor. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to circle back to football. Dad, what is your Rich Rod rant going to be? Well, we've talked about this a little bit, and it's going to be a brief rant. Now, there's some recruiting services out there that give out stars, you know, three stars, four stars, five stars. And there's a lot of them that do a lot of research when they give out a star. But sometimes you have to be very wary as a college coach, and if you're a prospect getting the stars, of just really what you know is a three-star, five-star, uh, four-star, what have you, because – a lot of that fluctuate depends on who's offering you, who's recruiting you, and all that. So my advice to a college coach is maybe that's a starting point, but don't ever base your evaluations on how many stars they're giving out. Now, surely a five-star is probably a really good player, but there are some three-stars probably as good. And uh, I think you have to trust your own eyes as coaches. All right, And if you're a player, high school player, and you're worried about what your stars are at, this and that, all right, don't worry anymore. Just go be a great player, and your attention will come. Yeah, well, that's something I've seen throughout the recruiting process. I was a no-star, and then all of a sudden I got an offer, and I was a three-star, but I've seen it's gone the opposite way too. A couple of my buddies, they'll, they'll be a four-star, and all of a sudden, if once they commit to a certain school, then all of a sudden they get bumped down to a three-star. So obviously – you want to work to get better as an individual. You want, don't want to work on stars. But like you said, you do got to be careful and understand that stars isn't what it's all about. It's all about being a good player and find the right school for you. And for coaches, understand that sometimes they miss. Sometimes they're not right on their ratings. And you have to trust your own eyes, like you said. Well, if you looked at the stats, I know it was uplisted in the Super Bowl. There's a lot more three stars than there were five stars in the Super Bowl. Now the argument is, well, there's a lot more three-star players, so there should be more three-star players in the Super Bowl. But the truth is there's there's a lot of guys that were under-evaluated or developed late, and there's a lot of guys that probably were over-awarded, uh, so to speak, and didn't develop uh, any further once they get to college. And Well, Dad, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but off the top of your head, can you think of anyone you recruited that maybe was a quote-unquote low-star recruit that uh, panned out really well? Prime example, two-star Scooby, right? Scooby mm-hmm. Ritz, great player, one of the best linebackers in the country and was a two-star guy. Was you know Hardly anybody was recruiting him, and I still couldn't figure out why. You watched him play in high school. You talked to him. You talked to everybody about him. It's like, for us, it was easy. It's like, as soon as we signed him, I'm like, we got us a great one there. And he proved it very quickly. Uh, I can remember uh, Pac-Man Jones. I know Pac-Man's had some, uh, you know, had a long career in the NFL, did some things, and he wasn't highly, highly recruited, but he was, he played wingback. He was a wingback in a wing T offense in high school and played kind of outside linebacker. He wound up being a great corner. So there's a lot of stories like that. There's a lot of, you know, I think the recruiting services now, Raquel, are so much better than they used to be because they can get more information. They get more film. All right, so it is better now than it used to be, but there's still a lot of guys uh, that maybe are in smaller towns or areas that aren't recruited or seen as much 
that are really, really good players and probably should be ranked higher and they prove themselves once they get in college. So we're actually going to give out a Rhett Rod rave this week. Who are you giving a rave out to, Rhett? Yeah, well, Dad can can hop in here too, but one of the people that I want to give a rave out is to all the FCA campus directors. At, at Arizona, I was lucky enough to be involved with FCA and be the president of the Arizona chapter. And Richard Lopez was the FCA campus director who's had a great impact on my life. I'm so lucky to be around him. And those people are, are so selfless and already getting to know the FCA campus director here, Aaron Dickinson, seems like a great man. And those people, they they work long hours and they do that just to benefit the student athletes. And they're people who really should be appreciated because they impact people's lives more than people probably understand. And I, yeah, they we are so appreciative as coaches because they're with our players and so many times off campus when they need help or, or someone just to talk to. And, and we're really appreciative of how much time they put in uh, for all the student athletes. Uh, very much appreciated. So a part of our month long series where we're diving into college football, the nitty gritty parts and our coaching tip of the day is going to be talking about scheduling of practices. Dad, how do you schedule and format your practices? How does I, how do you even go beginning that? Yeah, I think most coaches will do this. They'll do segment, segment, parts, half parts, whole, and usually in that order. In other words, you're going to do individual technique, fundamental work, usually the first uh, third of practice. And then um, like the middle third of practice, you're doing – maybe a seven-on-seven skelly or an inside run where you're doing nine-on-seven or you're doing, you know, group, a little more group type of uh, activities. And then the last third of practice uh, is usually uh, team-oriented, either against a scout team or offense against defense, and you're doing different situations, red zone, gold zone, coming out, going in, third and long, third and short, you know, two-minute drills, all that kind of stuff that you work on on the back third of practice. And then you're always going to fill in some special teams. Some guys like – I like to do it early in practice. And, you know, you want to stress the importance of it. You start off with field goal and punt or or special teams early. And then I like to take a break right in the middle of practice so for everybody to kind of catch their breath, get focused on the second half of practice, which is mostly team-oriented. But you got to always have time for your fundamentals. And scheduling practices now – for ULM and haven't done it for, you know, whatever, 25 years, it's always important to get input from your coaches, particularly your coordinators. What do you need? How much individual do you need? Uh, get input on what situations they need to work on. Like, is the defense ready for third down stuff? Uh, what special teams does a special teams coordinator want to work on? And then you also got to make sure if you're putting it all together, that you have enough uh, – that you've clearly explained the different modes. Are you tagging? Are you thudding? Are you tackling? Uh, making sure that you always have a down and distance marker, having officials there. And as I said earlier, podcast, you know, making the game – making the field game ready. Uh, but I think doing that fundamental part early and then doing it in a segment type of deal and then finishing up with the team part is typically the way most organizations will run their practice. And uh, I can speak for the players and say that break halfway is, is much needed, at least for us. We love <laughs> our break where you can just sit down, eat some popsicles, so that, that's a must. And I think in a break, I think sometimes going on a break, I even think a break needs to be thought about. Like sometimes you say, well, you want players taking a knee or, 
No, they get uh, the break is a break. It's their time. They can lay down. And we, I think if you're big time, you give them popsicles. We'll give them big time popsicles here at ULM. You know, give out the <laughs> fancy popsicles and, you know, they got to throw the wrappers away. But I think the players enjoy <laughs> laying down, getting some of those, what they call them, bottle pops, the popsicles. Bomb, yeah, the bomb pops. Bomb pops. Oh, we're big time. We don't, we ain't doing nothing half ass over here. We're bomb pop popsicles at our break here at ULM. How long do you think is too long for a practice? Ours are typically about two hours. We segment uh, five-minute periods. You know, some some segments will be two periods or three periods, but we always always slot it at five minutes. And, you know, once in a while, I always tell the players, we schedule a two-hour practice, and it's up to them whether we go two hours or two hours and a half. In other words, we got to repeat a play or we got to slow the stop the clock because somebody's loafing or – somebody's screwing up, then that makes the period go a little longer. We have not had to do that much, thankfully, uh, so far. But typically, it's a two-hour practice for us with a five-minute break in between. We usually have a 15, 10, or 15-minute walkthrough before practice. But that's typically where they run. Yeah, Dad likes to say that the players really determine how long we're out there. But I have never seen a practice go shorter than anticipated because (laughs) anytime – He's if me maybe it's a five minute period and we get all the plays in we were supposed to at four minutes, then he just looks at that as another minute for us to run more plays. So <laughs> I don't know if it'll ever go shorter than that, but it has definitely gone longer because he's had to hold the clock. <laughs> so you just pause the clock. How's that fair? Well, not very off. Well, once in a while. It depends again, it depends on how 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 smoothly the five minutes go. Okay, that makes sense. Sure. Do you? How long is too long of a practice in your opinion? I definitely think so. You know, when you're out there for two hours and forty five minutes, three hour practices, you know, you lose the guys. You know, now we we like to think we like to brag that we get more out of a two hour practice than most teams would in four or three. And I think we do by planning it, by staying on task. During that, having coaches having planned not only the team periods, that's easy to plan, but the individual periods, knowing already what drills you're going to work, how long it's going to take it, and so you're not kind of looking around, oh, I forgot to do this. So you can make practice. I mean, it's always going to be some work, but you can make it move quicker as a coach and all assistant coaches by having your plan well ahead of time. Yeah, well, one sign you might be going a little too long is that the lights cut out, which is what happened to us in high school a couple times. I do have to <laughs> – Poke fun of my, my high school coach, uh, Jeff Skurin, who, as I've mentioned before, we have a great relationship. But we did have a couple practices, mainly in rivalry week, when we'd be out there in the middle of the play and the lights cut off. And that means that we had to go into the gym and keep practicing there. So <laughs> if you're listening and the lights shut off, just send them home. Don't, don't make them go in the gym. I do remember uh, picking you up a couple of times when this before you could drive. And I picked you up a couple of times. And I sat in the parking lot for – little bit before you could come out. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we didn't have the technology to have, you know, a clock out there in period practices. So it really was based off of how he felt for the day. So and if, <laughs> if it was a game where, you know, got to take every game seriously. But if it was a game where we were pretty confident, sometimes practice would be a little shorter. And if it was a big game, practice would be a lot longer. So it was really based on feel in high school. You can't really do that in college. Dad, what's your philosophy on um... – like two days, three days. This is more so talking about like, you know, fall camp. But what do you think about that? I mean, I know they're they're your two days are much different than the two days 25 years ago. But what is your take on two days, yeah. three days? 
all the old coaches, we talk about how, how we had two, not just two days, but three days and all three, three of the practices were in full gear. And I do remember when I was at West Virginia, we lived in the towers dormitory, which is about a mile and a half walk from the stadium. And as a freshman, you all lived in a dorm and you had to walk, literally walk back and forth. Oh. You didn't know had cars. You had to walk back and forth for the three practices. So that's six walks you're going <laughs> in addition to three practices. So yeah, that, that was long, but uh, rightfully so uh, the NCAA put certain rules on, on you know, two a days and, and uh, limits of practices. And it's a lot better now. And I think one of the differences is because, before you had to use almost use camp as a means of getting in shape because not all your guys were there in the summer. Nowadays, 90% of your football team is there all summer. So they're working out, getting in shape. And so when camp starts in August, they're already in pretty good shape. So you don't need the two-a-days to get them in football shape. And so I think, you know, rightfully it's changed. You don't have all the two-a-days now and you have breaks and you got days off and things like that. And uh, I think that's all better for the guys. And dad talking about your three days back when you were in college at West Virginia, it's not like the uh, landscape or your walk was flat. <laughs> yeah, West Virginia, it really went out. The trip really was uphill both ways. Yeah, it was uphill both ways. And we had a, a mean old DB coach when I was a DB there, God rest his soul. And we, they tracked it one time in our practice, and we would go about four and a half miles forward, you know, in DB's backpedal, and I think two miles backwards, in addition to the mile and a half walk back and forth each time for practice three times a day. So that's another, you know, six miles. And so we were <laughs> we were in great shape at that time. And at the time, too, of course, you don't have really the players' lounges and stuff that you have now. Like, you weren't camping out at the facility. It's not the same as, as it is now. Yeah, you pra- we just you practiced there, and that's it. And then you would, you know, go back to the dorm to eat and then <laughs> take get your one-hour rest and then go walk back to the stadium and then back and forth, back and forth. So it's uh, it was a little different time. Uphill both ways. Both ways. <laughs> We're going to move to our questions of the week. First question, coach, I have always heard that various coaches, they don't want to give scholarships to punters or kickers as it takes away from other needs. What are your thoughts on this and what's your philosophy? Well, I don't think it's the fact that they try to take care of other needs. It's the fact that they're not sure how that kicker or punter is going to uh, react in a game situation with the pressure of TV and all the fans and so on. And, and I think the reason why I've done a couple times, I've given guys scholarships with Lucas Haversick at Arizona, uh, the great Pat McAfee at West Virginia. And one of the main reasons I felt comfortable doing that is because they had such a strong leg. We knew at minimum they're going to be great kickoff guys. And if they if they, they do what you think they'll do, they can do be great as a kicker too. And in Pat's case, he's a kicker and a punter. So I think it's more every coach will keep a scholarship for a kicker and a punter, and a long snapper, whoever proves to be the best one. Uh, and if a guy's a great, strong leg, then you know, oh, you're going to be safe because at least he'll be able to kick the body end zone on kickoff. So I don't think it's as much as, as uh, other needs as it is uh, wanting the guys to prove themselves under pressure and then having that scholarship available for them at that point. And so, of course, what you're saying is, too, that they always have an opportunity to earn it once they get there if they hadn't earned it right out of high school. Yeah, and I've had many, many kickers and punters and snappers earn scholarships with their performance once they got to uh, campus. 
Next question. This person asks, what do you consider the most improbable comeback of your career? Wow. There's some, that's some, that's a good question. We have some, at every stop, I can remember Michigan coming back against a, a top 10 Wisconsin team, uh, West Virginia. Uh, we had the three overtime against Louisville. We're down in Louisville. Pat White comes in and leads us to a three overtime win. Full moon. I remember what a special night that was to be a Mountaineer. And then Arizona, you had you mentioned the, uh, the New Mexico Bowl. Uh, that was really improbable. That might have been the most improbable. And the Hail Mary, you know, how many times do you get a Hail Mary pass to win a game? So, uh, yeah, I think there's three or four for sure. I think the West Virginia probably on a national scale with the Louisville win was was maybe the, the most watched one. But uh, there's been a lot of fun, that's for sure. Yeah, I just think back to the, to the Arizona ones. I mean, I was I was a young young kid for all the other ones. But I remember, like you said, the, the Wisconsin and Michigan, or the triple overtime versus Illinois and Michigan, and we – came back from behind in the Louisville game. That was a, a huge game at the time. And then the, the two we mentioned in Arizona, the the Hill Mary, I think we were down 31-13 in the fourth quarter, something like that, and came back, which is crazy. And then the New Mexico Bowl, uh, we were down, I think it was 13 with like a minute and 40 left or something. Mm-hmm. And I was actually not at the game. I was busy playing my eighth grade basketball championship, which we won, by the way. <laughs> so my mom and I, we – finished the game. We checked the score and we're like, man, we're, we're down 13. We're probably going to lose. But then all of a sudden we're watching on my phone and all of a sudden we get the onside kick and we score. And all of a sudden we get another onside kick and we score something like that. And then uh, it was a good day all around. I'm sure mom was calm the whole time, right? She was. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, it's gotta be so much harder. You know, I'm sure mom and Rep was like, yeah, Rep's like, oh, I'll be all right. Mom's like, oh, we got And then all of a sudden we win and she's like jumping up and down. Yeah, we had to pull the car off to the side. She was driving and kind of losing it. So we, I said, Mom, just pull over. I think we're in a McDonald's parking lot, something like that. But it was a good day. Well, I know after this year of watching football at home with mom this year, dad said he gave me, he had a newfound respect for me. For watching football <laughs> games with mom, with how worked up she gets, she's just so passionate about every game, and she doesn't even have to have any stake in the game, but she gets so passionate about it. She, she finds a stake in the game to get something <laughs> passionate about. Well, I think for me, my some of your most memorable and probable comebacks and wins would be, of course, I was at the New Mexico Bowl when Rhett was playing his basketball tournament. I was at that one. That was a big one. It was just so improbable. And it was such like, you just didn't think, I mean, how many teams win, come back for two scores with two minutes left to go in the game. It's really hard. Right. And then the cow one, I shared that one. That was so exciting. Like just something that you can never forget that moment. So it's hard to beat some of the uh, incredible comeback wins you've had. Next question is from me. You know, there's been a couple reports out lately, but you know, of course it's always a hot topic over time. Dad, do you believe in aliens? Uh, the, the quick answer is yes. And let me tell you why I remember I was in high school and, and my dad and I, my dad was going to work and I would go to school uh, at the same time, early in the morning, 6am. And my dad was, you know, was a very quiet person. Didn't say a whole lot. And all that. And I can remember it's dark at 6 a.m. And and I can hear my dad yelling, hey, 
Hey. And I'm like, what? He said, come here. I'm like, okay, what's going on? Maybe there's a bear in the yard or deer. He said, look at that. He looked up in the sky and it was dark, of course. And you could see this light and it wasn't a star or anything like that. It seemed like a large object that was just kind of rotating back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then we stared at it for like six minutes. And all of a sudden, zoom, it zipped off and took off. And you see it again. And we looked at each other like, is that what we think it is? That looked like a spaceship. It was kind of round in nature, just rotating and then left. And so ever since that time, I've believed they are out there somewhere. <laughs> well, Dad, I'm going to have to say that I totally agree with you. <laughs> now, don't get me started on the pyramids. I know some people like to think that. <laughs> The, the ancient Egyptians were the only ones there. I'm not I'm not so sure. You know, call me a conspiracy theorist, but I think they might have had some help back in the day. I, I think that there might be some aliens. I'm not sure. Maybe they haven't been here, but I think there's been some suspicious stuff going around that really can't be explained, and that might yeah. be aliens. And have you seen the pictures of Mars? I mean, it's a little desolate, but it looks like it's habitable. You know, if that's the right word. <laughs> Like there's, a, there can be uh, living organisms, organisms somewhere <laughs> on Mars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we really haven't. We've got, we've taken pictures, but do we really know? Do we know those pictures are real? I don't know. I don't <laughs> oh. know. Okay, now we're going a little too far. I don't know. Down coming. the rabbit hole. Oh, no. That's funny. That's interesting. Rhett, did you before all of this? Did you believe in aliens? Well, I would say I was. I wasn't fully sold on it before. I'm still not sure if I'm fully sold. Um, but in the past few months or so, I've watched some YouTube videos, and you can always you trust everything you watch on YouTube. Right. So <laughs> I've been a little more sold recently. You never know. I think it's it's a little arrogant to think that we know there's not aliens. We don't know there's not. What's in Area 52? There's something there. <laughs> 51, area 51. Oh, okay, well, 52 is 52, 52's even a bigger secret. Yeah, they, we, they don't want us. 51's a front. 52 is the real That's secret That's right. Spot. Let us know what the hell's in 52. <laughs> What's in area 52? Well, Raquel, what do you think? Are, are you sold? What do you think? Are there aliens out there? Are they out there, Raquel? <laughs> Well, what I'll say is, of course, there's always been the theories of the aliens for as long as, you know, time has been around. And of course, it was a big thing in the 70s. But what was really interesting, I believe I watched something on HBO where you're talking, there's these pilots, like these fighter pilots, these people who are in the military who are seeing these unexplainable like movements in the air. And that, to me, is very interesting. I mean, you've we've probably all seen some of the images, the little like snapshots we see when we see the articles. When you see those movements that they're talking about, and these are people who are trained in and movement in the air and flight patterns and all that stuff, and they're like, "What is this?" I mean, that's pretty convincing. And then plus two, I think it was like a month ago where a commercial uh, air pilot saw something and he was like. Uh, what was that like? And this is like all on radio and stuff like that. So it's hard not to at least question if they're out there. They are out there. <laughs> so to close out our episode, we've got a, of course, it's a special episode. We are at week in episode 20 of Hard Edge Football. 
So we're going to close it out with a top five Rich Rod sayings. Rhett's helped me a little bit with this. Yeah, well, we might go back and forth a little bit on some of the famous sayings. And this is just just a small snippet of, of the beauty of language that we get to hear every day over at Louisiana Monroe. But the first one, the first classic is always going to be the don't piss down my back and tell me it's raining. <laughs> That's from a great Clint Eastwood movie, Outlaw Josie Wales. <laughs> I like the old uh, can't pat you on the ass, you'll shit in my hand. <laughs> That's been used uh, plenty of times, plenty of times. Then the one recently we've been hearing a lot because of all the corrections, as he would term it, <laughs> is that I'm not suggesting these. When I tell you these things, it isn't a suggestion. It's a command. I'm not <laughs> asking right. you. I'm telling you to That's do right. it. It's, you think it's a suggestion. Uh, and I always like to bring up the two worst four-letter words are soft and lazy. <laughs> and to close it out here, we're going to go with the, the classic that anytime dad thinks that we're not lining up fast enough or we're not getting ready to go, he always talks about, I'll never get those four seconds back. I'm going to be laying on my deathbed and wishing if I only had four more seconds. It's just more, four more seconds to live. Four more seconds. And you wasted it. Wasted it on a line, on a receiver not lining up quick enough. Gosh. Awful. And along with our top five recent Rich Rod sayings, to finish off our episode, Russ going to give us a little snippet of what spring practice at Monroe has been like. Well, at the end of one of the practices we were mentioned earlier where a couple walkie-talkies were thrown and a couple uh, verbal commands were given out, at the end he brought the offense together and was talking to us about you know coaching tips about how we should get better. And he mentioned how obviously the team had struggled before and in general we've had some tough seasons here. And he said, well, you know what the definition of insanity is, right? That's doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. And then he got real animated opened his eyes real wide and said, well, I'm not insane. <laughs> and, and I'm sure the players at the time, he was making a good point, very valid point, but I'm sure they were probably thinking, I don't know. He might be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might be. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the 20th episode of Hard Edge Football Podcast. And please share with your friends. And we appreciate everyone listening to 20 episodes of Hard Edge Football. You can follow us on social media, on Instagram at Hard Edge Football, on Twitter at Hard Edge FB. Now we will be taking next week off for the Easter holiday. But make sure to tune in to all of our social media accounts to see when we're coming back, which will be in two weeks. And we will keep you updated with what's going on, especially at ULM. Mm-hmm.